If you have a Bible this morning, I ask you to turn to the book of John, chapter number 12. John, chapter number 12. And we will look at the first eight verses. John chapter number 12. I want to uh, give Brother Mike some relief. I, in Brother Glenn's words, he stated that Brother Shane and Brother Mike would be preaching today. Brother Mike and I had talked about this prior, and I'll be preaching both services, so Brother, don't, uh, don't think something's changed on you. I don't want you to have a heart attack or anything. I'm just messing with you. I love you. I love you. Brother Mike's a great man. I appreciate him. Notice John 12, verse number 1. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Notice here John writing in retrospect some 30 years or so later around that time. Holy Spirit inspires him to record these words in verse 6. This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Not some 30 years, excuse me, some 60 years. Around 60 years later John writing looking back here. You know, one of these days, everybody's going to know everything about you too. Now look here at verse 7. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We're praying. I'm preaching on this subject this morning. Worship that is worth something. Worship that is worth something. Father, I thank you for this day and this hour. God, I realize that, God, I am not able, God, to stand here in my own strength this morning. God, I do not have anything to offer anyone. God, we don't need me. We don't need my preaching. God, we need you. And so, God, I pray that you'd take me this morning, use me as a vessel of honor. God, that you'd pour the words out of my mouth that you've poured into my heart, and that, God, you would... Do exactly what you want to do in this place today. Now, Father, the Scripture says that the wind bloweth where it listeneth. And so, God, I pray that you'd send the Spirit of God, that you would speak to Him today and send Him in this place to blow into our hearts and lives. God, move among us in such a way that when we leave today, God, there'll be no denying that you were here. God, the only question will be is whether or not we will obey what you've said. God, I pray it will not be a question at all, but that we'll make our minds up right now, God, to do what you say today in our hearts. 
Now, Father, for that one who's lost, I pray now that God, even now, they'll begin to sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and that, God, they may not even wait till invitation to find themselves in this altar. But God, they'll find themselves here with a repentant heart, humble before God, believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, every one of us have things in our lives that are valuable to us. They're worth something to us. May not be worth anything to uh, anybody else or to someone else, but to the individual, they are valuable. I brought a few things this morning that are somewhat valuable to me. Uh, I've gained a few things over my young life that I appreciate. This is one of those things. It's, uh, I don't really have any value in this thing, but what it represents. It's a plaque that uh, the men and sailors of... Uh, the 3rd Battalion, 8th Marine Regiment gave me when I got out of the Marine Corps. That plaque to me, I'm not concerned with the plaque. By the way, it has a K-bar on it. It's a funny thing how when you get promoted to a non-commissioned officer, they take your M16, give you a pistol, but they give you a bigger knife. You know, that don't make any sense to me. <laughs> but anyway, Brother Frank Lahue, you may be able to help me out with that. But here's the truth of the matter. That plaque represents something that I find a whole lot more value in. And then there's a picture of my children. Um, this was taken prior to me coming to Hillcrest Baptist Church. In the bottom it says, I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in the right paths. Proverbs 4.11. That picture, I can do without the picture, but what it represents to me is worth something. My family is worth something to me. But perhaps one of my most valuable You see, this Bible, it's a reminder of redemption to me. It's the first Bible that I received after I got saved. I cut my teeth on it. It's tattered, it's torn, it's been wet a few times. But you know, there's an old saying that says, you see a man with a Bible that's tattered and torn, you'll see a life that's still holding together. You know, in my life, I've had a few struggles. We all have. But by God's grace today, we know that our anchor holds beyond the veil. And so we're still holding on, but He's holding on to us. Amen? And so we all have some things in our life that are very valuable. Not necessarily the things, physical things that we hold, but what they represent. And so I want to say to you today that the, the Apostle Paul, he said in Romans 12, 1, that we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Now listen, that word service in some translations is rendered as worship. And so I, I want you to understand today, we realize that Jesus Christ is able to meet all our needs according to His riches. We realize today that He is able, that, that God said in Him every promise of God is yes and amen to the glory of God the Father. But, but, but because of that, Jesus Christ is worth something. He's worthy, right? Yes or no, we understand that this morning. The question today is not whether or not Jesus is worthy, the question today is whether or not our worship is worth something. Right? And so is our worship worth anything? Is there worth in our worship? Now let me just say this morning. 
Worship is not simply found in our gathering. It is. This is worship. We call this Sunday morning worship. We've worshiped in spirit. We're going to open the book now and worship in truth. This is worship. But listen, worship is not simply found in our gathering, but also in our going. Uh, worship is not a matter, simply a matter of song selection, but is found in the soul's reflection upon the goodness of God. And so we ought to live a life in worship of God every day. Worship that's worth something. Worship that's worth something. And so as we look in our text today, notice first in verse number one, the scene, the scene in action. Verse number one again says this, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. The city of Bethany just rests just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. We know that. We've heard it. It's in walking distance from the holy city of Jerusalem. And, and if scholars interpret things right here in this uh, preceding, the preceding events, uh, they tell us that the Lord Jesus would have come out of Jericho. He had spent a little time there with Zacchaeus up in the tree. By the way, I told Brother Steve if, uh, if there was any part I could play in the, tri- uh, in the program, it'd be Zacchaeus because he was a wee little man. And so... He said, that's not in the place, so I guess I just got stuck being a disciple, you know. So anyway. So he spent a little time with Zacchaeus, and now he has come up to Jerusalem. He has entered the Temple Mount complex, and he has cleansed the temple for what I believe to be the second time. Matthew 21, 1 through 16 describes that, primarily verse number 12, which says Jesus went in the temple of God and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the table, the money changers, and and the seats of those who sold doves. And then he said this, It is written, My house shall be called a house of... But you've made it a den of thieves. Now I want to interject right here. We know that the Bible... uh, tells us that our body is the temple of God, right? We're the temple. But did you know that your flesh, even after salvation, still wants to profit in your temple? It does. The the flesh is a thief and it'll steal your joy, friend. And it may be today that you need to cleanse your temple in order to have your joy restored. And so just listen... The Lord Jesus has cleansed the temple. He has now walked out one of those gates. He has uh, went down through the Kindron Valley up by way of the Garden of Gethsemane to the top of the Mount of Olives and he is on his way or he has arrived rather at the city of Bethany at the home of what we believe Lazarus who had been dead. He was dead. This is all taking place six days prior to the Passover. John eleven fifty five says, And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. The Passover being one of the three Jewish feasts according to the Mosaic law that every male had to appear before the Lord. It's remembering, it remembers the passing over of the destroyer, the last plague as the children of Israel come out of Egypt. And so what we see right here is by this time, six days prior to the Passover, the Temple Mount complex, no doubt, full of hustle and bustle. Friend, there's a great scene already in action. A great scene. But secondly, notice not only the scene in action, but the Savior has arrived. He's in Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. As I survey that great scene already in action, I see Jesus walk down out from the Temple Mount complex across the Kidron Valley and up across the Mount of Olives. I hear something. In the back of my mind, I hear something. Some of you hear it. Pastor, I know you hear it. It's the bleeding of sacrificial sheep. 
It's the bleeding of sheep. Did you, do you know what I'm saying here? It's Passover time, friend. The great historian Josephus estimates numbers as high as 3 million people being present on Temple Mount at, during Passover. Now, other very conservative scholars say, no, 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 only 250,000. I, I really don't know. I speculate there was uh, quite a few. Amen? But here's the deal. Uh, the traditional average states that there would be one lamb for every ten people. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Even if there was only 250,000, that would suggest that there are 25,000 sacrificial sheep scattered across the Jerusalem hillside. But good news, friends, for both the sinner and the sheep, the Lamb of God, who is the Savior of the world, has arrived in Bethany. Amen? He's there. And it's still good news today, church. I think we forget that sometimes. The good news of the gospel. You know, uh, we look at witnessing sometimes as if we've got to sell something. We really do. You know, if I, don't, if I don't say it just right, if I don't deliver it just right, man, they may not buy what I'm giving. Friend, I want you to understand something this morning. I ain't got nothing to sell you. Jesus that wants to give you right. eternal life. And it's not about whether or not we can pay for it or ever pay it back. Friend, we can't. But Jesus will give it to us freely. And that's great news, amen. That's great news. But we need to remember this morning that the great news, the good news for us was not so good news for Jesus. You see, John 12 begins in the last week of our Lord's life. The last week of His earthly life, by the end of the week, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, will be suspended between heaven and earth, dying for the sins of humanity. Jesus will be there on bloody Calvary, paying for the sin debt of every man. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. Our peace is made available. We have peace today through the atonement of Christ on the cross. By his stripes we are healed. Not necessarily physically all the time. We're going to die. But when we get to eternity with Jesus, we'll be healed forever. And so the, 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 the writer Isaiah, he goes on, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, friend, the brutality of what our Lord endured cannot be described by Hollywood or even comprehended by human mind. The, the writer uh, in Isaiah, again, he says, Isaiah says he was marred more than any man. He was beaten beyond recognition. The psalmist states in Psalm 129 verse 3, The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. I see in my mind those Roman soldiers taking that scourge and whipping it across my Savior's back as they rake across His ribs, ripping open His flesh. And I see that, Him bearing my sin debt. Church, he paid it all on Calvary. You say, friend, I'm not that bad. I don't have any... Listen, you can justify your little petty sin if you want to, but I'm telling you, Jesus looks straight in the depths of your heart today and he sees everything about you. He knows where you are and where you're not. Friend, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, when we look at ourselves in the light of the Lord Jesus that we realize in that moment there's nothing good that dwells in us. Friend, Jesus is worthy. Is our worship worth anything? Is there worth in our worship this morning? And so we see the scene in action. The Savior has arrived, but thirdly notice the saint that is alive. 
It's Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead whom he raised from the dead. Now, I just want to ask you this morning, Miss Patricia Holland, please don't raise your hand if you're here. I know this is true about you. Listen, have you, anybody here done that? Been dead physically? Go on, raise your hand. It's something to be proud of. Brother Glenn's trying to compete with Lazarus. I know that. In fact, he and Miss Pat both, I think, have had, took their turn, you know. But listen, none of us, with the exception of just a few, have experienced that. But Lazarus, he had been there, done that, and got the T-shirt, amen? He'd been raised from the dead, no question about it. He was dead, and Jesus raised him back to the life. Now, I want you to realize something, something kind of comical here. John 12, 10 states that the chief priests, they wanted to kill Jesus, but they also plotted to put Lazarus to death because uh, uh, on account of him, many folks believed. Now, friend, I'm going to tell you something. When you start living raised from the dead physically, spiritually, excuse me, none of us have been there physically, but spiritually we've all been dead in trespasses and sin. He has made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. When you start living a resurrected life, you're going to have an impact on somebody. So we see that this saint is alive. Listen to me today. Jesus said in John 5, 24, He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Lost man, woman, teenager, hear me today. Jesus has done everything needed to save you. Everything. There's not a question whether or not he can save you. It's will you be saved. You must receive him in order to be saved. He has done everything necessary. He has atoned for your, sac- your sin by His sacrifice. He has made peace with God for us. We must receive Him, submit to Him, and give Him the authority in our life by repentance and faith. That's what we're talking about. Friend, listen. If you go to hell today, you'll go there by your own free will. Did you know that? There'll not be a single person standing at the great white throne judgment who was forced to be there They'll go there by their own free will because they did not receive Jesus. So we see this saint that is alive. Thank God today I'm a saint that is alive. How about you? But fourthly, and this is where I've been headed all along, notice not only the scene in action, the Savior has arrived. Notice not only the saint that is alive, but the supper, the supper that is abandoned. It's abandoned. Notice what Mary does right here. Mary, she's at this supper. She takes a pound of very costly oil and begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. There was something more important to Mary than the meal. You see, in verse number 2, Martha is working. Lazarus is with him. But in verse 3, Mary is in worship. Mary's about to show us something here that many saints have lost or lose from time to time. It is the attitude of gratitude. That's what it is. Now I want you to get this truth, so stay close with me right here. Notice in verse 2, Martha is what? She's working. She's working, right? You see it? She's serving. She's working. She's giving. Martha is working. She is giving. But in verse number 3, Mary is in worship and she's giving up. She's giving up. Why is that important? 
Because it deals with the attitude. It deals with the attitude. Did you know that you can serve God with the wrong attitude? You can. You can serve God with the wrong attitude. Let me just tell you when that takes place. Say, tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. It happens when you're more concerned with what you bring to the table than who's sitting at the head. That's when it happens. And so we see that in Luke chapter number 10, verses 38 through 42, with these same two women. There, Martha gets all upset because she was working and Mary wasn't. And so Martha decides she's going to tell Jesus what to do. Right? You know, stuff like that happens here all the time. People get all upset because somebody's working harder than somebody else and they think it ought to go like this or go like that. And here's what they do. They start telling the preacher what to do. I ain't tooting his horn this morning. I'm just stating the facts. I'm in the office. I know how it goes. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what happens. Somebody gets upset and they want to tell everybody how to run the show. Listen, this ain't my show. It ain't his show. It's the Lord's show. And we're going to run this thing how the Lord chose us. Amen? And so here's what we understand this morning. If we're serving God with the wrong attitude, friend, we don't work to please anybody here. We work to please Jesus. If you got any other attitude than that, friend, you got the wrong one. I have to remind myself of that from time to time. And I work for Jesus. Listen, I love you, church. I do. I love my pastor. But if I work for you, and if I work for him alone, listen to me, I'm going to wear myself out, and I'm going to be no good. But if I work for Jesus, I'll never get tired of him because he's worthy. I want to give him worship that's worth something. I want to give him everything that I am. By the way, when Jesus addresses Martha there in Luke number 10, Luke chapter 10, he wasn't a jerk, he was only a gentleman. And he tells her something that she didn't like. He says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Listen, you may not always like what Jesus says, but it will always be right. It will. And if we'll align ourselves underneath Him, we'll be able to give Him worship that's worth something. And so notice here in John 12, number 3, chapter 12, number 3, verse 3, she's, Mary is choosing that good part again. She took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Notice first the price of her worship. Spikenard was a very pure, perfumed oil that had a strong, distinctive aroma that would cling to the skin and hair continuously and, and give off that strong aroma. I mean, when, when, if somebody had that on and they walked in the room, you'd just you'd know it instantly. You'd be able to smell them. Verse number 3 says it was a very costly oil. In the Greek, that means it was extremely valuable, of great price. Judah says in John 12, 5, that this stuff is worth around a year's wages. I mean, we're talking about the top of the line, the very best money could buy. Uh, the, the presence of its aroma was an indication that the very best had been offered. Are you following me? Are you with me? Now look here. In the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verse number 12, the Shulamite says, While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. We're talking about a fragrance fit for a king right here. That's what we're talking about. Here in John chapter number 12, when Mary anoints the feet of Jesus, friend, she, only, she wanted only the very best to define her love for Him. Now let me ask you something this morning. What is it in your life that defines your love for Jesus? 
You know, one of the definitions, I find this, uh, I, I don't know, I've never thought about looking up the definition of the word define until this week. I mean, it seems redundant, doesn't it? But, but you know, there's a lot of definitions of words out there that we don't always associate with. And so listen to this. One of the definitions of the word define is this. To fix or mark the limits. So the scripture's plain in reference to our love for the Lord Jesus. What we do for Him marks our love for Him. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right? What we do marks our limit of love for the Lord Jesus. And so when we choose something else over Jesus, we don't even realize it, but without saying anything, we are marking the limit of our love for Him. That's what we're doing. Now, some folks, no doubt this morning, who marked their limit of love for the Lord Jesus, they're, they're probably out playing ball, doing something they shouldn't be doing on a Sunday morning. They're marking their limit of love for the Lord, and they don't even realize it. That's why, listen, when we, when we press this issue of uh, assembling yourself together, friend, the Scripture's plain. Paul said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, I'm not beating a dead horse this morning. I'm just telling you that when you choose something else over Jesus, you're marking the definition of your love for Him. You said, I'll go this far and no farther. That's what you're saying. That's it. Mary didn't want to Mark her limit of love for the Lord. Only the best for Jesus. He was worthy of it. And so listen. I know Jesus said we need to count the cost. At salvation, we need to understand what that means. Repentance of sin. Turning away from a sinful lifestyle to follow Christ. Listen. Count the cost this morning and I guarantee you, I guarantee you the end wage of eternal life will far outweigh now hear me. We need to count the cost at salvation. We need to count the cost under sanctification. But here's what I've learned from Mary. The purest worship is never concerned with how much it'll cost your wallet because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Genuine worship comes before God with open hands and an open heart and said, God, all I am is yours. All I have is yours. In 2 Samuel 24, David realized he'd sinned against the Lord by numbering the people and as punishment, God sent a plague upon the children of Israel and 70,000 have died. David goes to purchase the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite and this man wants to give it to the king and David says, no, I will surely buy it from you for a price. Friend, David was willing to pay a price to worship. I wonder this morning, are you willing to pay a price to worship? Now hear me. We know we cannot purchase eternal life. Friend, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do you see Jesus in the light of being worth everything that you are? He's worth everything that I am. I owe everything I am to Him. As I was sitting here this morning in worship, I just began to thank God. How in the world have you brought me to a place where I am today? I don't deserve this. I'm nothing. I'm just a worm. The scripture tells me I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but thank God Jesus came into my heart and I've never been the same. Amen. We're called to lay our lives down for the sake of the gospel. And Mary was willing to bring the price of her worship to Jesus. 
So we see the price of her worship, but secondly, notice the place of her worship. The feet of Jesus. And so we realize that genuine worship is never concerned with how much it costs your wallet. But genuine worship is never concerned with how it looks before others. Now watch what she does right here. She's at the feet of Jesus. Can't you see her position there in her mind bowing before those holy feet? Can you see that? I mean, these are the feet of the eternal God of glory. The one who stepped out of nowhere, stood on nothing and created everything. We're talking about the feet of the one who has walked where angels trod and even back in the Garden of Eden, you know what I'm saying? These are the feet that have walked through heaven's hallways and in just a few days, these are the feet that will be pierced with the Roman, rusty Roman nails. Those feet, she's smearing oil on those feet. The place of her worship. We've already stated that this was not the first time that Mary was there. She'd been there before. Have you? Have you been at His feet ever? Have you ever been there? And have you been there lately? Friend, I've learned some things about Baptists. We have a hard time bowing at the Master's feet. Notice I didn't say Christians. Baptists have a hard time bowing at the Master's feet. Why? Pride. It's only one word. Pride. More concerned with how we look on the outside than what Jesus sees on the inside, and it prevents us from getting into the position of worship, which is bowing at His feet. You say, I can't get down there. You can if you want to. You can. You can do anything else you want to unless you're paralyzed in a wheelchair or have a a disability that will prevent you, you can get down there if you want to. Now now listen, I I know for sure if Brother Jeremy this morning was able, he'd be in the altar. Why? Because he loves the Lord. He goes far beyond anything else that we realize to be here on a Sunday morning. Now listen, that's devotion. That's worship, friend. Now hear me. I watched a teenager on Wednesday night with a torn ACL and crutches bow in the altar and he didn't even know how to get up. I thought I was going to have to go help him. But he did it. You know why? Because he wasn't concerned with anything else, just bowing before Jesus. And so here's what, I, here's what I say. You say, well, I don't have to bow in public. No, sir. But if you'll do it in private, you won't have no problem doing it publicly. That's, that's just the truth. That's the truth. You see, your problem is not with the position. It's simply with submission. That's right. So stiff-necked and prideful, you don't want to submit to anybody. Now listen, Jesus is our master. Amen? He is our master. And so for most of us, the real problem is not bending the knee, but bowing the heart, friend. And Mary here shows us this position. We look beyond her position and we see her humble submission. Now James said, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Right? So we see Mary here in this position of submission and she is submitting to the Lord and she's wiping His feet with her hair. Now Brother Kevin Ham explained to us what that meant at the Bible conference. She's giving Jesus her glory. She's submitting her whole person to Him. The hair of a woman is stated in 1 Corinthians 11. It's her glory. Friend, have you given Jesus your glory? See the price and the place. Now consider the power, the power of her worship. 
Friend, listen, genuine worship will always leave its mark. Consider first how it must have smelled to the Heavenly Father. I think about this. You say, well, the Father's not there. He's in heaven. Agreed, but He's there in the Son. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. He's present. He's present. I don't know about you, but if there's one thing I want for my life, I want it to smell good before God. And so Mary shows us how through worship. That's been suggested, as Brother Cam stated in reference to Luke 7, that this, this fragrance was associated with prostitution. I'm not tying that to Mary here. I don't believe Mary uh, of Bethany was a prostitute. But here's what I do realize, that this woman, these women who were prostitutes, they would use that fragrance in an effort to attract men. But here Mary is pouring it out on the Lord before His cross where He would attract all men. For if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. What a picture we have right there. So notice not only how it smelled to the Father, but to her friends and her family. Verse number 3 says that the house was filled with the fragrance. The word filled, it literally means to crown. It literally permeated every room in that house. I don't know how big it was, but here's what I know. Most likely it didn't have no windows like you got in your home. If they had anything, they'd had a board that they would shut at night, and in the day it'd be open. And so that fragrance not only permeated the house, but it began to seep outside. And all those folks standing outside, they could smell that fragrance. The smell permeated the house, but the scene penetrated the heart. From that day forward, every time someone smelled that fragrance, they would remember that scene of worship. Can't you see that there in your mind? Friend, if you were to step out of this world today, would anybody remember a scene of worship in your life? If you were to check out of here today, would anybody remember a time when they saw you bowed at the feet of Jesus in worship before the one you call Lord? Daddy, granddaddy, today, what will your children remember about you when you step out of this life? how hard you worked, how much money you made, how much beer you drunk or dope you sold, what will they remember about you? Will they remember you as one who loved Jesus Christ with all your heart? Mama, will they remember about you, grandmother? How much you loved your grandchildren, your husband, your Lord? What will they remember about you? Teenager this morning, what are folks going to remember about you? You say, I'm too young to die. Friend, teenagers die every day. What will they remember? about you. I told you earlier that this perfume was an oil that clung to the skin. Oh, listen, some of you fanatics out there, you're going crazy with this, uh, uh, what, what you call that oil? Yeah. Yeah, essential oils. Rachel, she's she, she, she wearing that stuff all the time. Listen, <laughs> she walked through the sanctuary door the other day and I smelled her before she got back. I thought, good night. She smelled good. It's okay. I mean, I just, listen. But this stuff right here, you couldn't wipe it off. It got in the skin and the smell would stay. Uh, And so here's what, what we see right here. From that day forward, everywhere Jesus went, He smelled like spikenard. And everywhere Mary went, she smelled like Jesus. Oh, that's good. 
Now, how good would it be for us today? How good would it be for Lebanon, Wilson County, Mount Juliet, wherever you live, if when you walked out of this place this morning, other folks could really tell you'd been with Jesus? You just smelled like Him. Some of you will. Some of you won't. But you can. So we see the supper that's abandoned. I got all kind of time. Thank you, Jesus. Look here. <laughs> supper that's abandoned. Somebody asked me, that, boy, that's a big old watch. I said, yeah, I wear that so, I can, uh, so you can see what time it is and know that I don't care. <laughs> hey, you need to put that in your book, brother. <laughs> Look here. The supper is abandoned. She's not, she didn't come for the meal. Friend, listen. How good would it be if you just didn't come on Sunday morning and see what you could get? She just left everything else out. She didn't care. She wasn't there for the fellowship. Fellowship's wonderful. I love you. I've already told you that. Mary come to center herself on Jesus. So she abandons the supper, but notice the serpent that's angered. Verse number four. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? John 13, 2 is plain. The devil put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. You say, when did the devil do it? Well, I don't know. The Scripture doesn't explicitly say. Maybe right here, maybe earlier, maybe later. But here's what I realize in this moment. We better beware of people who have questions when others are getting undone before the Lord. So let me say it to you like this. When the saints get undone, the snakes get uncomfortable. You see it in service sometimes. People start fidgeting. Man, they'll get up and make 28 trips to the bathroom. I don't know. You may have a bladder condition. If you do, friend, we need to pray for you. But here's the deal. If you're getting uncomfortable in the service, it's because you need to do business with Jesus. And so in 2 Samuel 6, King David dances before the Lord as the ark of God was coming back into the city of David. He's dancing Apparently he was so caught up in worship that his garment uh, comes open and he partially exposes himself. Now let me just say this. I'm not a snake. I'm a saint. But if I'd been there, it'd probably made me a little uncomfortable too. All right? But here's the deal. We better beware of people who are always whining during worship. Saint of God, listen to me this morning. Don't come into the house of God with your gripes and complaints on Sunday morning. You've not come here to go to the complaint department. You come here to worship the King of Kings. He is worthy. And we need to give Him worship that's worth something, friend. Listen, He don't need me and He don't need you. We get the privilege of being here today. Worship that's worth something. And so Judas, he's angered. A lot of folks still think like Judas today. In their minds, this was wasteful. It was unnecessary to offer anything like this. But notice what the Lord states to Judas here in reference to Mary. Look what he says. Verse number 7. Let her alone. I like that. We'll be back there in a minute. She has kept this. It's not stated when or where or 
how Mary acquired this perfume. That's not the focus. What's the focus is that she's kept it for the Lord's burial. Now, friend, I'm going to help somebody here today. You do remember that one chapter earlier, Lazarus, her brother, had died. Don't you think in that moment she was tempted to use that thing that she was keeping for Jesus on her brother? Now come up close. Listen, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I'm not being arrogant. I want to help you. Some of you may have set something aside in days gone by for the Lord Jesus. You were genuine. You were sincere. You were honest in it. But then some circumstance arose in your life and when, when it did, that thing you set aside for Jesus, you reached out there and Pulled it back. I don't know what it is. Maybe money. Maybe ministry. Maybe the Lord was calling you to give up some luxury and to give of your life in His service. Some circumstance came along. Friend, listen. You can't do anything about yesterday. But hear me. Had Mary... Had Mary done what, what done that when Jesus came along and raised her brother from the dead, Jesus would have still raised her brother from the dead. Amen. It was in His plan. He'd have still done the miracle. But had she poured that perfume out on her brother when Jesus came along, don't you think she'd have been ashamed? She would have been embarrassed. Say, hear me today, we're going to stand before Him. John says we need to live our lives so as not to be ashamed at His appearing. That's the rapture. You can't do anything about yesterday. But you can confess your faults and failures before Him today and ask Him to help you live for Him every day from here on out. Mary, she's pouring this ointment on. And the serpent gets angry. But notice the Savior and His answer. I love it when Jesus shuts the devil up, don't you? Verse number 7, Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Now get the picture here. The tension's rising in the room, wouldn't you agree? Things are getting hot. Judas is mad, but Jesus is the master. And he says, leave her alone. She knows what she's doing. She's kept this for my burial. She's been waiting on this day to come. She has kept this for me. Now hear what I'm going to say to you. No doubt Mary's tears were flowing. I love it when we get in the worship service. Man, the Spirit of God impresses on me and on you and, and we just get undone before the Lord. We, we're not concerned with what people are saying and what they're thinking. We just want to worship. And so I see that in Mary right here. Her tears probably flowing, but here's what I know. Her heart was glowing, right? Now, now Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. And so Mary's heart is glowing. Her tears are flowing, but Jesus is the man on fire. Do you see him right there? He's burning. He's on fire. Now listen, you do know what happens when you pour oil on the fire, don't you? Somebody better talk to me this morning. You know what happens when you pour oil on the fire, don't you? It gets hot. Oh, friend, it's getting hot in the room. It's getting hot in this moment right here. And the devil in the room is doing all he can to put her fire out. 
Notice how he does it. By trying to act all spiritual. He does. He's acting all spiritual. He said, what in the world is she doing? This should have been given to the poor. Immediately, he begins to act spiritual. And you look at what he does. He takes the focus off Jesus and puts it on something else. You know, there's a way we can determine whether or not you're genuine or not. What's your agenda? Is it Jesus or is it you? Is it Jesus or is it me? He says this should have been kept for the poor. Mary just keeps pouring it on. She's pouring it out. She's pouring it out. Now hear what I'm going to say to you. When the distractions start coming into your life, don't you think she was... If she could have heard Him, I don't think she could hear Him. I think she was so consumed, so focused on Jesus that man, she was pouring that oil on Him and the flame in her heart was rising. She was hotter uh, than a $2 pistol. You know what I'm saying? That flame in her heart was rising like those old boys on the road to Emmaus. Did our heart not burn within us as He opened the Scriptures? Listen, she is uh, in worship right here and she couldn't even hear those distractions. But you and I, friend, from time to time, we can hear them, but here's what I'm saying to you this morning. When those distractions start coming into your life, the cold water committee wants to pour out on you and pour on your, uh, put out your, your parade, rain on your parade of praise. I'll get it out in a minute. When he wants to do that to you, friend, you know what you need to do? Open up that oil of praise and break that bottle and just pour it out on Jesus. Friend, when you do that, Heartache after heartache. Even when your health begins to fade, listen to me. When you pour that oil out on Jesus, the old cold calluses that circumstance bring into your life, they'll melt away. Melt away. Why? Because when you pour the oil on the fire, friend, it gets hot. The heat's rising. It shuts the devil up. One of these days, he's going to shut him up for good. He already has. It just ain't come yet. Friend, listen to me today. I don't know where you are in here, but I know you were where you are right here. And what a wonderful day it would be if in your life, those distractions, those hidden agendas, maybe you just drifted a little way and lost your focus today. Friend, why don't you put it back on Jesus? Friend, we can serve God with the wrong attitude. But why don't we today move back to that place where we're full of gratitude for the Lord Jesus and all He's done for us? You say, well, He ain't never done nothing for me. Oh, friend, listen. He gives you breath every day. Your heart will never take another beat unless He allows it. And today, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Some of you wore out. Just flat out wore out. Jesus wants to give you rest. But you'll never find the rest you need laid up in the bed or on the couch. The only place you can find that rest 
is in a position of worship.